Hello, I'm your host, Olivia Braffman, and welcome to If She Can, I Can, the podcast that aims to edge us ambitious women that little bit closer to figuring out how to navigate both the fulfilling career and the family we desire. And well, challenge is the role we're supposed to play in it all. Each week, I'm going to be talking to the inspiring women who, in their own special way, have done just that. Let's get into it. Today, I am so pleased to be joined by creative producer extraordinaire, Ashley Ashley. One of seven siblings and raised in Southeast London to first-generation Jamaican immigrants, Ashley has always had a passion for the arts and an incredible focus and ambition from a young age. An internship early on at Film London became the catalyst for the next 15 years of her career, working across television, film, music, and advertising. Her portfolio of projects is enough to make your jaw hit the floor, producing commercials for the likes of Elemis, Mac, working for Walt Disney, running live projects for Adidas and TikTok, campaigns for Nike, production managing reality shows for Channel 5, and working with Netflix on hit shows such as Top Boy. Love that show. Truly incredible, and she is not stopping there. She is a talented writer and producer working on her own projects on the side that speak to her personal passions for stories that explore and celebrate the human condition and to bring light to really important causes that she is a strong advocate for, such as gender equality, workplace reform for parents, and all-round diversity and mental health in the screen industries. No doubt, due to her own personal experiences of working through it all as a mother of two. Ashley, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Look, look at him, it's just only just started. (laughs) I know it can always be funny sometimes listening to that, but oh my gosh, you've just done incredible things. I wish I could walk through each one and be like, tell me about that, that sounds amazing. It's been a journey. I want to take it right back. You come from a big family, like that's the first thing that that sticks out. Lots of lots of siblings. What was life like for you growing up? And how do you think that's impacted on who you are as a person today? Yeah, well, I am I am one of seven, which is a lot. No, it's a thing to say here though, is that uh, you know, I'm the only child between my parents. So they both remarried and procreated <laughs> aside from each other. So, but no, we, we, I kind of grew up between my mum and my dad's home, homes. Um, and, you know, it was, I, I suppose from early on, like I've, I've had to develop the skills, like move between different worlds and different spaces and different sets of values and different sets of uh, priorities. And we are, considering how big my family is we are still quite tight-knit you know we see each other often often enough and I think having a big family always always teaches you as well about forgiveness and that sometimes feelings are like feelings are real and hot and they should be heard but they're also temporary and that we we have so many like we have arguments we have blowouts we have disagreements and it's I think it's quite nice to grow up in a space that is that emotionally dynamic because then we also come together and we eat and we laugh and we play games and it's never like nothing's ever permanent and I, I hope you know I pray that continuing that trend into the future that we don't have any big blowouts that we, we, you know end up in complete dismantling of 
of the whole family. But um, yeah, it's, I think that's one of the biggest things that being part of family has taught me is that people make mistakes. People are human. I'm human. I make mistakes. We we fight, but then we forgive each other and we we kind of crack on with it. And it's okay for someone even as, as tight as your brother or your sister to be completely different from you and to have completely different points of view and we don't necessarily just because we're all from the same family we don't have to have the same views and the, we, we don't have the same trajectory in life any more so than a, than a stranger would you know what about your your ambition so you've been mega ambitious from a really young age interested in the arts where does that influence come from why do you think you're so ambitious? Oh, I think it's a mixture of things. I think uh, I got a bursary to a private school, a secondary school, and I always felt that I needed to work extra hard to validate that. And it was still costing my parents a bit. They couldn't really afford it. The bursary helped, but it didn't cover everything. And I thought from one side, it was like proving my worth and that I deserve to be there on that bursary and, and the other part was like working super hard to make sure my parents hard-earned cash wasn't going to waste <laughs> and I think that environment is quite it can be quite competitive anyway and I certainly know that my dad is is someone who's driven I remember it was really bad but like when I was my dad's the kind of guy who's like if I got a B in something he'd be like B is for bad not like it wasn't like was it's so brutal but it's you know it, it was it was it was brutal and it was you know at the time I was like oh my god like be so bad what does that mean it meant I had to work harder you know and, and it was his way of saying always strive to be the best and always strive for the best and whether or not you know I'm sure in like modern day parenting books you probably have to have a note about how you approach that conversation there might be different ways to approach it but ultimately he really wanted that for me and he really wanted to to instill in me like this this work ethic that even if I if I got something that was good like you know there's always room to push for better and I don't know I think that's it's kind of stuck it's really stuck with me because I'm I can't I can't help but have a certain level of success in something but like want the next thing and want the next thing and it's something that I'm working through I suppose like um as a parent as well now because I've got two kids and like I, I never want to use that particular phrasing with them be it for bad but I also want to be able to I also would love to instill in them the desire to be the best that they can be and yeah and how do you how do you do that how do you like what's is there such thing as like healthy ambition and if not what what kind of ambition do I have I don't know I'm still figuring it out maybe sometimes it's healthy and sometimes it's not I always think when when do you get your ambition as well because a lot of people you hear about the fact that in the really formative years when you're at school you get this sort of competitiveness or there's people around you that are pushing you and pushing you and you get this sort of need to be the best and then that just sort of sticks because they're the years when your brain is sort of becoming um its true person and then you're just sort of stuck with that for life a lot of a lot of the time I wonder if to be one of those really ambitious people it's those kind of years where you're going to be most influenced to become that person. Well, for, for, for sure. And, you know, I, I left that, I left my education with straight A's. So yeah. something happened in, in that, in that process, that transformation coming into this kind of new world of learning and com- competitiveness. 
and being challenged by it, having the old failures along the way, but then still being able to push and drive and, and come away from that with what I say is two fingers up to the head teacher who doubted me and, and mm. props to my parents who, who supported and pushed me through that journey, you know? It is, it is definitely like part of, I think that's definitely part of my my upbringing that that really formed this ambitiousness and as I said like as I'm getting older I'm, I'm trying to I'm still working out like the parts of that are, that are healthy and that are helpful and the parts of that that I can maybe leave you know in secondary school <laughs> yeah no of course I get it I get it and you moved out at the age of 17 and you're living independently and you know suddenly supporting yourself how did that come about and what was what was that experience like for you well, at the time it was at the time it was the best solution and you know it was like it was lots of family drama I'm not going to go into the, the schematics of it we all have family dramas and you know at the time it was the most it was the it made the most sense and I'd been sort of like staying at a friend's house for a few months and I'd kind of gone through like this this whole process of like leaving home and needing somewhere needing somewhere to live and and needing somewhere to call my own and I think maybe I was striving for that and looking back in my teenage brain it was like the right thing to do and maybe if I was to do it again I would keep my backside still for a a few more years and like take advantage of the bank of mum and dad for a few more years before I before going out in school circumstances didn't allow for that so it's not it is what it is but I think when you start out so young like you also you very quickly build up a work ethic so on top of that like layer of ambition that like, I then have the practicalities and the realities of needing to eat and needing to have gas and electric and needing to understand how council tax works and what even is that for needing to understand what support structures there are out there for someone in my position but also understanding that those support structures won't necessarily carry you through your life you still also have to work really hard and you still have to earn you still have to be proactive in your own personal upkeep and you know my family was still still about like I still saw mum and dad like I was still I wasn't like completely ostracized or anything like that it wasn't that dramatic but it was very strained there was a good few years where our relationships were really really strained and really difficult so I I had to go alone and and I think something that's sort of stuck with me from that period is is just like my love of solitude and of like being on my own and being in my own space and learning how to um, love myself in that and obviously having kids is like the antithesis of like solitude (laughs) what you like to be on your own so you had two kids great idea that's probably been one of the biggest like sacrifices I've made personally because everyone has to make sacrifices to become a parent but for me like giving up my solitude was you know, my, my lifelong solitude from 17 to like I had my first child at 30, you know. So it was like I had a lot of independence. I had a lot of alone time. And I really valued that. But coming out of that period, you know, I, I was it, I was exhausted. I, I, if I'd had maybe different approach, I may have gone to uni and, and done the whole thing. I did a foundation in the end at the University of the Arts. But after that, that first year, I was like, I can't afford to like do this for, for another three years. I need to get a job and started out in my first my first uh, position this was like after various like bar jobs I was worked in like Cafe de Paris which doesn't exist anymore it was like so bougie but looking back it was actually really trashy <laughs> 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 it was such a trash back of a place um, 
I worked in retail. I I I sold wall coverings. I I worked for a marble company. I, you know, this is between like leaving school and starting my first production job. I I I had to work. I had to earn, and and I moved around and worked anywhere that would take me for as long as I could stomach it. It's such a different um, perspective, isn't it? Because normally you get you finish school and you're like, who do I want to be? What career do I want to pursue? But if you're thrust into a real world situation, it's like, how do I just eat next week? How do I pay the bill? How do I keep a roof over my head? It's a completely different mentality. Yeah, and and I, you know, I, I'm like, I'm gutted I missed out on that period. I'm gutted that I missed out on this like period of reflection of like who I am and like, what do I want. And maybe you know, I look at some of my counterparts who have maybe had a plan that they've had a couple of years to figure out and see through throughout the course of their career and they have a lot more stability I guess maybe there's more stability there and more like they make decisions based more on this like ladder that they've been constructing and how to climb that whereas a lot of my decisions career and otherwise have been very instinctive and very much following my heart and following my gut which is a wonderful process but it it means that you don't necessarily have that stability and when we like it's like formative years like we're kind of kind of coming out of that phase and and I remember leaving you leaving sixth form and I suppose like the 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 thing that I left there with there was a teacher called Mr Grant shout out Mr Grant if you're out there because I'd love to meet you again if if there was ever an opportunity to do so he installed with me the the hunger and the love of like filmmaking and mm. like photography and creativity in that sense like my mum was a creative so I, I had a lot of I, I understood what it meant to take something nothing and make something of it you know take a flat piece of fabric or a roll of fabric and turn it into a suit or a coat or whatever I understood this like magic this alchemy that goes into turning nothing to something but Mr Grant definitely like show he's the one who even um, told me about Film London and, you know, what that, like, I had that place on my radar. I kept on checking for opportunities from there throughout the whole of my foundation because of something that he said. And I think he, I think that was the, he was the guy who maybe planted the the media seed in me. Even though I was doing physics and I was doing, like, English and I love to write and all of those things, it was, it was that, he, he gave me that spark, you know. So even though I didn't have any firm direction, I kind of, I had the inklings or the beginnings of a, of a passion. Then you followed it. So you, you eventually got to the place where you were like, it's not sustainable to be just working in retail or for the clubs or whatever, selling um, wall coverings or whatever it might be. But clearly <laughs> at one point you were like, I want to, I need to sort of figure out some <laughs> kind of direction. And you were, you were passionate about, about the arts. You found your way into the multimedia world and you're working in, film and television on like mad cool products and music videos and advertising is what I started in like advertising was after from London like I had a I worked for production for two two years um on reception and sort of like running and production assisting a little bit and getting to know a little bit more about how that whole world worked learning who the clients were learning about director rosters and creative decks and budgets and do you know what I mean like it was a whole it was a whole new world to me and so that for me was the, the beginning but I also I love to sing and this is like this is this is something that's really like I don't know if it's a bit you know weird about my my entire career I've always I've always kind of lived a bit of a double life <laughs> to be honest, Olivia. I've always had like the job 
that I'm like, this is going to pay my bills. I have a passion for this. It's very interesting. I, I can see how it's feeding me uh, physically and also maybe emotionally or like professionally. But then I have this passion that I really want to sing. So <laughs> like while I work by day at this desk, very high independent as you're speaking by by night like i will grace the the haunts in in east london and listen to live music and be sucked into this whole amazing beautiful world of of young you know we were young we were young once creative singers and writers and performers and i suppose that fed my soul as well and for a number of years i i worked in the industries and i you know i spent production I did some costume like i had all of these sort of freelance roles on, on from my first initial job but i also had this other life of like performing and like can i get this music career to to blow to a, to a stage where i can stop having to work the day job and live off of that so this this duality has been something that, you know and I, I think i mentioned to you before like it's only in the last couple of years that i'm Maybe in the last, maybe since I've had kids, like maybe that's when I've started to find like ways of tying both my worlds together. So you mentioned, <laughs> obviously you're doing lots of different things and I didn't even know you're a singer on the side as well. And how you're freelancing predominantly at this point. So kind of after you've been working in advertising, when you're moving more into the arts and you're producing mu- music videos and you're working as a sort of, I guess, independent creative of, across lots of different roles and platforms and projects yeah. how what what does life look like as a freelancer working in that world it's scary you know there's not a lot of stability there's not a lot of consistency or there's pockets of consistency so I was working with a designer called Mr Gammon for for you know a couple of years and and that was like a nice consistent amount of work and also learning and kind of got into a rhythm with him and then I was maybe ADing and running for a couple of years. And that was like, I was with a diary service and, and they were getting me work. And that was a fairly consistent patch. But in between all of these patches was a lot of, well, I had, I had my passion. I had my, my music. So I always had something to do. And it was about being very frugal and lots of beans on toast and lots of um, bed borrowing and stealing. Well, less stealing, but begging and borrowing to kind of get from the next meal ticket to the next meal ticket. And you've got the stereotype of like broadcast musicians, like it's the thing. <laughs> it's the thing. When I wasn't able to work, it was it was really hard financially. And you mm. have to develop a thick enough skin to deal with the rejections of not getting all the things that you know that you're working towards. And you have to you have to um, also have faith, and you also have to. I don't know, like have faith in yourself and trust the process. And these are all things that in hindsight I can look look back on and be like, oh yeah, like I'm so glad I trusted the process. But at the time I was like, ah, like what the hell is going on? Like how am I going to mm. get through this? Well, I look at it as bravery because I just think it takes serious <laughs> bravery to have such a deep passion like you did for singing where there's no guarantee that it's ever going to become anything pay your bills but you continue to pursue it and not succumb to getting the nine to five more stable job where you sign a contract that doesn't have an end date that's bravery thanks for madness you know a bit of both maybe 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 for you I just think it's it's really admirable because I think not many people would 
there's so much pressure to not do that. So the people that do do it, I'm like, that's awesome. I think for me, I always knew that I could, I had hard skills as like receptionist and PA. Like there was always, if, if things really got like so bad that I, I was going to lose everything, then I always knew that I could fall back on getting that nine to five job and finding that nine to five job and using those hard skills that I had parked. So I think with, if I didn't have that as my sort of like metaphorical safety net, what if safe safety net, then maybe I wouldn't have been as, as brave, but you can definitely get out there and do what you love and and just know that there's going to be something you can always go back to if it's not working out I want to talk about your journey into motherhood you're working as a freelancer you know for a lot of people the reality is I've got a job and they will hold my job for me for 12 months and then I just go back into that job and they're going to pay me for a bit of that time to be off and look after my child and isn't that great? Like that's, that's the reality. And I get to go off and have my baby and, and come back. If you're a freelancer, you're working for yourself. That's not, that's not your reality. So talk to me about your journey into motherhood. You've got two children. What did it look like? How are you managing to kind of juggle and plan everything around having them? I suppose I was quite strategic. You know, I've mentioned to you the only time I had a real job four years working for Disney and it was like a real solid pack and I ended up there it wasn't necessarily on purpose I, I I'd done like this this tour with with like my music I'd come back I was like freelancing and I had this like all this you know great shit going on and I and I broke my leg and I broke my leg on the ski like on holiday in uh Scotland like water skiing for the first time in my life and obviously smashed I broke my leg and it put me out <laughs> learning about your name now it's all making sense <laughs> why you're called smash <laughs> literally yeah and I and I was I was out of I was out of action for like six months I had like a thigh to ankle cast I was um this is when this is like the formative months of mine and my partner's relationship as well like we'd maybe done one trip to India and and we'd done and then we this was like our second trip together to Scotland we'd been together about a year and I broke my leg and it was so bad that yeah like I said I was out of the game for about six months when you're freelance you know what you rely on is, is a role it rolls right so you finish one job and you roll onto the next one because you're with that same designer or because you've met that person on that shoe or because whatever so it's, it's a very like the network of it all is very like rolling and if you're out of the game for six months then that that could that you know head of department that you worked with is going to have a handful of other harem of other people that they're working with it's not that they won't ever work with you again but you almost have to start from scratch you almost have to start again so when I was trying to go back into work after six months, I was really struggling and I was really poor and I just need, I needed a job. And this is what we were saying about having a fallback. My fallback skills are um, logistical admin coordinating and stuff like that. So the role that I took on at Disney was only supposed to be for a year just to fill a gap and to earn some money and get some savings and have that stability that I'd seen all these other people with. But I wanted a chunk of that after being six months of not really employed and and struggling so I suggested that and a year in they were like we're gonna extend your contract and I was like this is really comfortable I'm getting a a good wage like I'm able to say it's not the worst company it's still like within the same room I was like reasoning with myself it's still within the same universe of like media and you know I was in distribution which is like the arse end we'll say the arse end the very end of the the process production and filmmaking process like it becomes a product that you then distribute so 
it, it made sense a little bit. I was learning lots. Great. I'm going to stay here for another year. And then my partner and I were like, I think we want to have a baby. I think we want to have a baby. And I think we want to buy a house. And he's freelance. And I'm in this job that has like a real contract and a yearly wage. And um, maybe I'll just stick it out for another year. So it's like three years in now. And like we're saving. We're try- trying to buy our first house. And we, we were successful. We buy buy like the flat that I had. I've been living in this flat for like over 10 years, 10, 15 years. And then we bought it. And then it was like, okay, we're going to try baby. And then we had a loss, our first attempt, which was devastating and, and sort of set us back a little bit. And, you know, we were kind of a bit nervous to go again, but did anyway. And, and we ended up conceiving or find, like I found out, you know, well, we worked out, we ended up conceiving our daughter on the day that our the baby that we lost was due. Oh, wow. So weird. But also, like, not. I love shit like also that. Also amazing, yeah. <laughs> I love, like, the universe is just like, do you know what? That was really hard for you, but here you go. Because we were trying, and wow. I was trying, and I was trying for, like, a good, like, five, six months after we lost our bubba. But anyway, yeah, I was, I was I stuck it out at this job, and I was miserable. You know, by the time I was pregnant with Alipay, and I realised that I was, we kind of did it. Like, I, I was going to get this maternity package that, that you speak of, this dream maternity package that is really essential and actually like very much deserved and very much like needed and important and people try and trivialize it and sometimes it might seem as if women are taking advantage oh you're taking advantage of the company by like having maternity leave and I just think that's such that's such a negative way to look at supporting your employees and supporting the working community Uh, so yeah I did stick it out I worked really hard and stuck it out there but I was really miserable. And after I had Alipay, yeah, we had I had maternity leave. I kind of decided that the first year that I had that, I kind of decided for the first couple of years I wanted to be at home with her and I wanted to be present and really get lost in the mothering mothering world, you know. After I'd, I'd had her and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a mum. I'm going to like swan around in my like, white flowy gown and like feels a barley and a baby on my arm and like breastfeeding. And oh, yeah, this is going to be great. Yeah, yummy mummy and all that. And then I started to feel that little itch, that little bit of boredom. I think she was like nine months old. And I started to find mothering really difficult and really lonely. And I stopped. I kind of didn't really know how to ask for the help that I needed. I didn't really know what I needed. So partner and I we went to we went to Jamaica for three months. <laughs> we we sort of yeah, we, we kind of we left we left the country and, and it was a big reset for me and it was proving that it was all part of my journey of bringing my motherhood and my creativity and my desire to for adventure to bring mm. those things together because you know, we all get told you can't do this when you're a parent, you can't travel, you can't you can't have fun, you can't, you, you're like bound by this person in a way that is going to completely devoid you of any other joy. And I was battling with that because I kind of felt that that was becoming true for me and I couldn't deal with that reality. So yeah, but I went to Jamaica for three months and I started the concert Wanderer, this like, I said like my next passion, like the next phase of me being like, I want to do something like really, I believe in. And that was singing, singing kind of faded out a little bit. I mourned that. I was really sad not to not to sing anymore. My priorities shifted. So the Constant Wanderer was born and, and I suppose like coming out of Disney I, I had to find a new way to incorporate my motherhood into my creativity. What is Constant Wanderer for those that don't know? Talk about what 
what that is and what it means for you so the consequence was a platform that I started uh about positive parenting lifestyle and essentially it was a space for me it was a vlog where I would travel a lot with with my little one travel abroad but also places around the UK and I would take advantage of some really like cool like day trips and like um, activities in London and like daytime raves and you know like trampolining and like all these little things that that would bring joy and spontaneity into our into our day-to-day life and one of the things about the consequence about the tagline is like finding the extraordinary in the everyday basically because Mm. you know when you're a mother it is it's rigmarole isn't it it's like washing nappies feeding nappies washing nappies feeding nappies how do you how do you inject a bit of color into that how do you inject some joy how do you like put your passions into that and for me it was like the opportunity to film make i mean making these vlogs and it was the opportunity to go on all these little adventures and bring my daughter with me i love it so it really is all of your worlds coming together did you ever go back to that job i didn't and i didn't go back because after four years of working there and putting in my all and, and on paper having a promotion, they wanted to invite me back at the same level that I started at the four years before. And it's strange because if they had embraced me as the person that I was when I left, if they embraced like all the work that I'd done and mm. um, recognised that, if you like, then I would have stayed. I would have stayed for a bit longer, I think. But I wasn't about to go back as like a, as a PA yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? After being like promoted to a, you know, a coordinator, after being like traveling and presenting to some of the heads of of various, I, I just wasn't I wasn't prepared to go back, and I felt yeah. it was an insult, to be honest, to be to have gone on this maternity leave and then, oh yeah, we're going to keep your job for you. Oh, actually, it's not actually your job; it's like another job, which is like a lot less than the job that you did before it might be less money and it might be less responsibility and you're kind of like yeah not really how dare they good for you you were like I'm not going back I'm gonna pursue other things you're obviously a huge advocate when it comes to workplace reforms for parents and it's all kind of adding up to me as well based on the experiences that you've had specific I guess to the screen industries to the industries that you've worked across Out of interest, what is the situation in that industry for mothers or uh, parents in general? Like, what 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 are they facing that probably needs to have a big change happen to it to to be able to support them better? Well, as as freelancers, freelance world is notoriously bad for having any types of workplace security. I think recently, you know, the government have put in place like workplaces have to contribute to pensions to a certain extent so I think on a lot of longer jobs especially like on top of for example like that was a longer term contract that was like six six to nine months it was like a long longer contract so you know they will contribute to a certain extent to your to your um, pension but there isn't any infrastructure for maternity leave or sick pay or anything like that so so I think one one of the things that could definitely change is is building that infrastructure in into the freelance space whether that be like an industry body who Mm. manage those contributions that we all give and and distribute them accordingly 
I, I, I doubt they're going to be as generous. I doubt at, at first it will be as generous as you might get in like a you know a corporate job. But I think stuff like that needs to to be thought about and and taken into consideration. And in terms of, oh, it's, it's so difficult to do. Everyone has such different experiences, and I've been really lucky, or really I don't know if I've been lucky or if I've just been ignorant to the prejudice. But having done some work in this space, I've I've met a lot of women who really struggle to get back to work after they've been in the industry, after they've had babies. They'll, they'll go out and then they try and come back in, like we were saying, at, at a certain level that they left at and have a lot of doors closed in their faces or have zero flexibility in how and where they work. And so you're almost forced to to choose. I'm, either I'm going to never see my child because, you know, film industry hours are long. There's a lot of work being done around that as well at the moment in keeping them more realistic 10 hour days as opposed to like 12, 14 hour days, which, which, you know, we can be subject to sometimes, but they're long. It's like, if I'm not going to, am I not going to see my child for like ever for the whole, this whole job? Like, where is the space in that? Where's the, the kindness? Where's the compassion in that? So there's, there's a lot of work being done by the film and TV charity. There's groups like um, Cine Mamas uh, who are campaigning and championing. There's there's a lot of female-led groups like Women Behind the Camera and Illuminatrix for DPs specifically. But these are all kind of collectives of, of women and mothers who are supporting each other in the good fight. But also there are more and more case studies of women who are able to navigate motherhood and work with some very generous or just like logical adaptions in their workplace and what's your story you're working now you're involved in awesome projects you've got your two kids what ahead of the industry being reformed and you know more light being being shed on the difficulties that freelancers face if they want to have a family is there anything that you would share in terms of what's personally helped you to, to navigate retaining your passions and, and still having a family now? How are you managing to balance it all? I think the first thing is not being afraid to ask for what you need. And a really good example of this is, you know, when I started on Top Boy, Atticus was three months old. He was three months old. I had like a really terrible bout of like personal depression and I, unlike when I had Alipay, where I was like, I want to stay at home for two years, like, and be a mum and like swan through Phil's of Barney. Um, <laughs> with Atticus, I, I, you know, I was, I was quite unwell and, and I needed to go back to work. I needed to do something that was going to snap me out of like this, like, hazy early motherhood bubble, you know. And this opportunity came along to work, but I, I couldn't commit full time to something like that with a three month old that would be ridiculous that would be like devastating I wouldn't see him and I wouldn't be able to you know resolve any of these so I asked I asked for a, a job share and it's kind of unheard of in in our industry and it was a coordinator role and I, there was a lot of backward and forward I had to make a really good business case for it by relying on bodies like screen skills who you know subsidize um, certain roles if they're structured in a certain way within a production and yeah I'm, I managed to get it you know I managed to get a job share and I think that's one thing that I'd say to mums out there is that what do what do you need what do you need in order to, to sustain yourself 
physically, emotionally, as a mother, and also do your job. Like, what do you need? Because if you don't ask for it, you're not going to get it. And it's not always a case of saying, oh, I really want this, please. Thank you. It's sometimes it is about being business savvy about it and, and creating like a business case to support you supporting them. Do you know what I mean? I, I think ask for it, but ask for it in a way that is business savvy and not in a way that you're entitled or that you'd expect it, even mm. though you should <laughs> expect it. <laughs> and one day it won't be an issue. But for now, while we're making these changes, ladies. I love it. If it doesn't exist ask for it and so I guess you and your husband are both you're both working so kids well your your oldest is probably in school now but you've yeah. and then you've got one in in nursery so are they are they kind of full-time in nursery to allow you to to do that or how, how are you how how much are you able to work right now childcare is bloody expensive so right uh, my daughter's in in school yeah but my son we put him into nursery three days three days a week if we do full time and we're not working, then we're paying out of our, you know, above the odds when we're both at home. And if he does three days a week and we're both working, which also happens, then we have we're earning enough to subsidise those gaps with additional childcare, with a nanny or with, uh, more ad hoc family friends. It's a bit of a production, to be honest, Olivia. It's a bit of a production because. Yeah, when, when we're both working, it is literally a case of, okay, so Tuesday and Wednesday next week, we're not going to have any childcare between these hours. Like, ring around the family, who's <laughs> going to do that? No one can. All right, can we pay you to do it? Okay, so you're going to be between five and seven, but then you have to go there. So literally, sometimes it's like, I just wish I had a PA who could just manage just that. What's been quite nice is we've had a lot of, like, give and take. So there's been times when I'm working and Dan's not, and times when he's working and I'm not been a pretty full-on I, I got onto this like BAFTA Elevate course uh this training program through BAFTA for the next two years and I've it's just been like <laughs> <laughs> um and hubby's work's kind of gone as well so the last few months have been a bit of a production and it isn't it isn't easy being freelance and being a parent it's it's certainly on you know the more challenging end of the spectrum to having a a full-time stable job but the satisfaction comes when where neither of us are working and we and we can go away for like long stints of time. Uh, the benefit comes when on Tuesday I can say, oh, I'm going to take you to the transport museum because my son loves vans and all vehicles. And I can just I can just do that. I don't know, it's worth it. And from what you can hear from my 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 lifestyle forever, I've, I think maybe I quite enjoy I don't know, the madness. <laughs> well, look, you probably don't know any different as well. You know, you've got your, you're, you're doing it, you're living it. And you're right, if it kind of suits how you want to be living your life right now, you want that flexibility, you want that element of control. And if you're working a nine-to-five, you're just stuck in that rat race, right? You're working that nine-to-five, you're working Monday to Friday, it doesn't change. Yeah. I want to talk about your Kickstarter, you're involved in an incredible project, which yeah. I'm crazy excited about. It's named Mother is a Hero. You're working with Mother Pucker. And I guess the aim is you're, you're trying to redefine motherhood and, and kind of change the system that currently means thousands of women are forced out of work. And I'd love you to share a little bit more about it. What is it? what's the aim what's the goal how can people support what you're 
what you're doing? So I suppose the first thing to say is that we we soft launched the Kickstarter and we had an amazing response and we had thousands of people comment and share and like like the fact that this thing has to happen and we know it needs to happen and we were really like I don't know like excited and buoyed by the support that we got when we initially launched it. However, what we also realised is that we were asking the very people this project was supposed to help to fund it mm. and uh, after a couple of weeks of like fundraising we kind of we took it down and we had a minute where and, and it's like it's, there's a couple of a couple of factors here it's like kickstarters are bloody hard anyway like they're a full-time job oh my gosh like you have to like literally be pounding pavement every single day and between like both Anna and I have have jobs and it was a juggle it was a struggle but on top of that ethically we were kind of like it just doesn't feel right to ask the mums and dads and parents out there who are in our networks to kind of push this thing to 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 pay for a project that's supposed to be supporting them so we we're, we're taking a different tact and I'm currently working well I can't really say too much about it because it's still in the works but <laughs> let's just say I'm taking a different different tact to fundraising but the campaign is definitely going to go ahead and it's a campaign to redefine motherhood as you said it's a campaign to um, celebrate and show off if you like lots of different forms of motherhood in the 21st century it's no longer this woman except the wife behind a kitchen sink you know motherhood is administered by women by men by grandparents by foster families by all, all manner of people and in all manner shapes and sizes and I think by redefining it as a as a humanity issue as opposed to a woman issue and just a, a mother issue I think is is the first really important thing but secondly I think it's, it's about celebrating and acknowledging all the motherers all the people out there who are juggling and struggling and who are working within some really archaic systems that say fathers don't get paternity leave you know systems that say that childcare is is zero responsibility to your employer or that flexible working is only acceptable to this degree or to that degree or in this industry or in that industry like or in this role and not in that role when there's a lot of people practicing practicing these things right now and there's no reason for it not to be universal other than the fact that we're so used to a dated dated narrative you know it's a short film it's a poetry film and it's also a series of a hundred portraits of mothers all over the country, and that's that sort of forms the the basis of the campaign. And and I suppose if people wanted to support, I'm just I'm just really interested in hearing lots of stories. I'll be listening intently to your podcast, Olivia, inspiration as well, because you know you are you're speaking to a lot of these women. You're speaking mm. to a lot of the people who are who are demonstrating that you can. I say have it all, and that's not really the right. I just I don't know how well that term sits with me because you you can have a lot of it there's always going to be sacrifices there's always going to be things that you can't that you can't have and if you can have seven out of the ten if you can have six out of the ten if you can have nine out of the ten you're doing pretty fucking well so yeah that's that's it's coming like watch this space I, I'm, I don't quite know how it's all going to come together just yet but we've got some really good people on it and there's a lot of support there's a lot of support out there and yeah I just don't want I just don't want to ask mums and dads out there to pay for it no it makes sense I will definitely be keeping close tabs on how it 
ultimately manifests and and obviously cheering it on as much as I possibly can once it does officially come out because I just think it's it's such an awesome project and I'm just super excited that there are people that are deciding to put their time into things like this to to kind of spread really important messaging and yeah it's awesome it's awesome well we're connected now I might have to rope you in yeah I'd love to (laughs) I'm I'm just in awe and fascinated with your life I just think there are a few people I speak to that have so much purpose driving what they do and so many passions throughout their life that they've intently followed and to me it's just it's super exciting to get to speak to someone that lives their life in that way because very few people do and I want to hear from you as you think about you've achieved awesome things you've got your lovely family what's next like what does the future hold for Ashley I'm still in the pursuit of balance you know the pursuit of balance and understanding that balance sometimes means not having any balance at all I think something that I'm working towards is working like a nine-month year I think I want to I don't want to be working 12 months of the year I don't want to be working full time so I want to try and structure my work life in a way that allows me to really smash it for nine months of the year whether it's weeks at a time here or months at a time there whatever it is and then have three months of the year to either pursue passions or just hang out with my kids and um, oh, and have a bit of space and travel this is like a long-term goal I don't know how many years it's going to take me to get to this point I'm 35 now hopefully by the time I hit 40 I, I, I can find that balance because I think as much as ambitious as I am and as much as I as I love achieving and I'm goal driven and I you know I want to I want an Oscar and I want an Emmy and I want like all the things like I also I also don't want to I also don't want to lose myself in thinking that my career is all that defines me you know so yeah I'm I'm it's an innately part of who I am that's kind of long term and I suppose just 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 to finish off like short term I, I, I often goal set and recently did an exercise with my husband where we laid out like our 10, you know, 10 most pertinent, most important goals. And one of the things on the list for me was to spend more time enjoying my passions and doing things that I love. And usually, like, I focus really heavily on, like, the goals of, like, professional, like, career. I'm like, this is what I want to do. But I've realised that that's just who I am. And actually, by focusing more on doing things that I love, I'm not going to stop doing my professional goals I'm not going to stop achieving because that's who I am but by focusing more on making space to enjoy my kids and to enjoy reading and to enjoy going to gigs and whatever like I think I'm going to be able to introduce some more balance into into my into my space so yeah next is is a cocktail on a hot island somewhere three months a year (laughs) oh my god I feel like everyone should strive towards that I've never even heard of that being a, a goal, but work nine months of the year and have three months to yourself just to kind of do whatever you want to do. What an amazing, what an amazing thing to work towards. Ashley, thank you so much. Thanks for sharing your story. Thank you for inspiring 
me to now work nine months of the year <laughs> three months off I'm like I'm taking that that sounds awesome I really appreciate you sharing today and and being honest and, and being vulnerable it's amazing to hear so thank you thank you so much for having me and good luck like this mission that you're on is is very very well it's, it's amazing and it's going to be very fruitful and I hope that you find a lot of inspiration for your own motherhood journey and whatever you're pursuing Olivia I wish you the best good luck with it enjoy the ride <laughs> oh my gosh thank you Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please don't forget to leave me a quick review and subscribe. It helps us reach a bigger audience of women more than you know. And if there is an awesome individual who needs to share their story on this podcast, I would love to hear from you. My details are in the description below. I will see you next week.